In the HBO series Insecure, Molly, a high-powered, whip-smart lawyer and black millennial woman says confidently, I feel like I'm exactly where I should be in my career. And then she gets a young white male co-worker's pay stub by accident. He makes more money than she does, way more. She knows she works just as hard and is just as qualified. And you can tell this revelation confuses, hurts, and infuriates her all at the same time. I remember when I found out that women work an extra three and a half months to earn what a man does in a year in any job. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a law clerk, a cleaner or a CEO. And it takes even longer if you're a woman of color, an indigenous woman, or an immigrant woman. And longer still if you're a woman who has a disability. The gender pay gap doesn't show up in pop culture very often, so Molly's discovery felt all too real. It was the gut punch of knowing that the long hours, years of education, and extra effort simply isn't enough to be treated fairly. And then you agonize. What is fair and who gets to decide? If I care enough about pay equity to fight for it, how do I fight for it? I'm Asma Malik with the Atkinson Foundation. This is Lovers and Fighters, the second podcast series on Atkinson's Just Work It platform for podcasts and events for and by millennial workers. Here we meet people wrestling to hold the line between heart and grit in today's decent work movement. What do workers, especially millennial workers, love enough to fight for? We invite conversations across generations, within sectors, and more to understand and be inspired by the motivations and questions driving their work. I spoke with Faye Faraday and Pamela Upple to talk about their motivations and efforts to close the gender pay gap. Faye is a lawyer who has fought against systemic discrimination in courtrooms and social movements. Pam is leading a project on the experiences of decent work for women in Ontario's nonprofit sector. Here's our conversation. So yeah, welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us for this episode. And I'm going to just start by asking each of you to tell me your full name, your title, and who you work with. And let's start with you, Faye. My name's Faye Faraday, and I'm a social justice lawyer in Toronto. I work with a wide range of community groups, workers who are not unionized, workers who are unionized, uh, migrant workers, feminist organizations. It's quite a broad range, and what I do is I try and uh, build movements. That's great. How about you, Pam? Mm-hmm. So my name is Pamela Upal. I work for the Ontario Nonprofit Network. I'm leading a project that's looking at what decent work for women looks like in the nonprofit sector specifically. That's great. I'm going to start off with a little question that we like to ask here from the Atkinson Foundation. We love music. It's the soundtrack to our work. In the theme of lovers and fighters, I want to ask each of you what your fight song is. <laughs> I mean, I'm it, immediately thinking about I'm a huge hip hop fan. Um, so any like current big hip hop track uh, that I can just listen to, vibe out to, get pumped up. Is there one that comes to mind? I'm thinking about Kanye West a lot right now. And just, you know, that fire, that energy um, to do it against all odds. Yeah. How about you, Faye? Okay, so my thing is that I've never been able to remember... Um, musicians' names or song names. So I know the song. It's by Michael Franti, and I just can't remember the name of it. Yeah, but can you? Do you do you remember a line? Do you from want it? me to sing it? Yeah, no, let's do it. Go for it, man. Sing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're all here 
because we're excited to talk about you know what we love enough to fight for. And you've both been involved in work to close the gender pay gap. And I want to ask each of you how you came to this fight. Um, how about you, Pam? I think it was in university. I was I'm a philosophy major, and then I took a women's studies course, and suddenly there was this language to describe my experiences, particularly being a Punjabi girl. There's you know I can go to school, I can work, so all those like bigger gender equity issues, it's like, oh, they don't exist anymore. But it's just the day-to-day, like, watch where what you're wearing or, you know, where you're going to work. And you don't really need to work all the time because you're going to get married or just little things like that. And I was like, oh, now there's this framework, this language where I can describe this. I was hooked after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And I feel like we all have those experiences of naming our politics and finding people through that, too. And to you, Faye, how did you come uh, to be in this fight? You know, it's really interesting because I think I've been in this fight my entire life. And um, I was growing up in uh, the Filipino community in Winnipeg. And from a very early age, I saw that, you know, the Filipino community was working in particular jobs and white people were in other jobs. Um, The jobs that were available for young men my age were very different and paid much more than what I got. My first jobs were in food service. And in that context, the explicit rule was brown girls like me work in the back. It's the white girls who interact with the customers. So I was really aware of that. I've just had the fire to fight back against it. When you think about how much women on average earn over the course of the year relative to men, the difference is the gender pay gap. So in Canada as a whole, our latest census figures show that there is a 32% wage gap between women and men. That means they earn 32% less. But it's really important to know that the gap is bigger with intersecting dynamics of discrimination. So women with disabilities have a 56% gender pay gap. Immigrant women face a 55% pay gap. Indigenous women have a 45% pay gap. Racialized women have a 40% pay gap. And that has been stagnant for a couple of decades now. And with statistics like that, that leads us really, really directly into some of the work that you've been doing, Pam. You've been crisscrossing the province, talking to women who work in the nonprofit sector in particular. And what's the one thing that you've heard that surprised you or alarmed you or encouraged you from your experience? You know, the pay in the sector is not the best, right? So when we talk about the gender wage gap, when I was doing research, particularly for the sector, so there's this care penalty of being in the nonprofit sector, right? So you're already getting paid less based on your education experience, which might be the same across other industries. But the fact that you're doing very gendered work and you're doing very racialized work also, um, you're not getting paid the same, right? Um, And then on top of that, we don't have a pension plan. Um, Health benefits are very, you know, touch and go. Um, And there's no really not a lot of organizations offer maternity top ups. And we know that's another thing that impacts the gender wage gap. Does it feel like there is a way forward? Yes. And I think the reason I feel that hope or inspiration is because um, women have been sort of, you know, 
coming together and mobilizing in different parts just because they haven't been connected for whatever reason. Um, and there's so much passion. Like that's the one thing that you can't take away from the sector. Um, regardless of how work conditions are, regardless of what's going on, that passion is irreplaceable. In hearing all these stories, I sometimes feel a little overwhelmed, right? Because I'm like, I want to do so much, but there's only so much I can do. And I feel this sense of like duty and responsibility. And just I hold all the experiences that have shared with me very close to my heart. And sometimes that can be really difficult because you're like, I'm only one person. <laughs> and I'm sure I know I well, see Faye smiling. <laughs> um, you know, and that's where our work comes in. But I really like to hear you talking about this passion because I've been doing this work for many decades now. And what I'm really excited about is um, the passion and the politicization of young women who are coming into the workforce now. They have been raised on the promise of being equal and they're hitting the workforce and they're realizing that it's not what what they were told that they were entitled to. All of those traditionally female jobs, whether it's caring for families, caring for the elderly, caring for people dis- with disabilities, working in the healthcare field, you know, the really discriminatory assumption behind that is that this work isn't really skilled work, it's just part of being a woman, and that it's inappropriate for you to put your needs above the needs of the person you're caring for. So asking for professional pay is seen as inappropriate. And so that just, you know, drives this cycle of underpayment and undervaluing in the sector. You know, jobs in not just in the nonprofit sector, but generally are increasingly precarious, part time, temporary, casual, filled through temp agencies. And it's women, and in particular racialized women, who bear the brunt of that precarity. There's not one single thing that will fix it. We need a broad range of strategies, but none of them are new. Like, quite literally, Policy recommendations that are being put forward now are the same as recommendations put forward in the Status of Women Committee report in 1970. The Royal Commission report called for a national childcare strategy. We're still waiting for that generations later, right? And there are a number of other strategies that, through the coalition, we've been talking about and mobilizing around. But there's a real resistance to treating this as a structural problem. What have you learned about how women are getting organized to fight for decent work, for pay equity, to close the gender wage gap in the nonprofit sector in particular? Because the issues are so persistent, but the organizing continues. And what have you seen and learned from your experience? The conversation's beginning, but no one's asked the nonprofit sector, women working in it, you know, have you experienced sexual harassment? Are you, you know, experiencing the gender wage gap? Is there a glass ceiling? Um, Sort of going back to a lot of what Faye has been saying, um, the conversation has just been, you know, there's a lot of women, so you guys are doing great, you know, a lot of women leaders, et cetera. Um, But we haven't dug deep enough, and it's just been nice to create space, safe space for women to start these conversations, right? Um, And really reflecting, because it goes back to, you know, let's think about the sector, let's think about our communities, let's think about our clients, and not so much ourselves. And disclosure is the other big thing, right? Like, how do you talk about what you're getting paid if the sector in general, your clients are suffering, right? How, and is that a women thing? Is that a nonprofit thing? It becomes so compounded, right? The issue of 
pay transparency is one of those really important ones, and it's really the next wave of what's happening on trying to close the gender pay gap. In Ontario, over the past year, there was really broad lobbying for pay transparency legislation, which forces employers to prove that they're actually complying with the existing human rights laws not to discriminate in pay. The inability to talk about your pay is one of the things that's allowed the gender pay gap to fester. Joining a union is the number one way to close that gender pay gap and get transparency on the wage structure. And it's very difficult to organize in many female-dominated sectors because the work is is part-time, it's precarious, it's not always based in a, a central location. And the push for sectoral collective bargaining that's not um, isolated to individual small workplaces is something that women have been pushing for to help build that collective power and close the gap. But fundamentally, the nonprofit sector and the broader public sector generally is funded by the government. And the government is systemically, systematically undervaluing the work and underpaying the work in that sector. So oftentimes when people are thinking about the gender pay gap, you know, they find it easier to point their finger at the worker who's next to them and say, you know, they should be earning less because I work harder. But the real problem isn't that individual one. It's the structural one. And people should be looking up. They should be looking up to the employers. They should be looking up to the government who are driving the pay patterns and demanding equality. Because I can't stress this enough. It has been against the law to discriminate on the basis of pay since the 1950s. Employers have had more than enough time to get their house in order. There's no excuse for this. Is there one person or organization that is inspiring you, you know, energizing you in the work that you're doing that, that we should know about? In working on this project and just being out in the community, there's so much great work happening that we've all been able to you know, diversify, um, saying the same thing, but saying it in different ways and how it's manifesting in different ways. Um, so just thinking about um, AECO's work around childcare, um, Access Alliance is doing work around decent work for racialized women, Scarborough Women's Centre is doing work around um, economic empowerment for women with disabilities. The same conversation in different spaces are happening and we're able to leverage that, right? Um, support each other, aligning our work, or even the, all of us getting together once every six months being like, hey, this is what I'm working on. You know, how can we collaborate or how can I amplify your message um, so we can all sort of at the end of the day get the same thing, right? And what I think is really exciting is that it's not just happening here in Ontario with the Equal Pay Coalition. We are building quite an active uh, network across the country of feminist organizations, of worker organizations that are lobbying for uh Uh, strong pay equity legislation on the federal scene. And we're also exchanging learnings and strategies with equal pay advocates around the globe. So we've met with the women who drove uh, the equal uh, pay movement in Iceland. We've met with women from Sweden and Denmark and a, a number of other places around the globe. So it is building. But I want to give 
a particular shout out to a couple of organizations. One is uh, the Workers' Action Centre and the Fight for 15 and Fairness. They have been phenomenal in mobilizing working class workers to see themselves with collective interests and to really fight for um, for decent work. They've been absolute leaders. And this work you've all described is is really important and powerful. But, you know, it uh, it requires the long view as well. And it requires us to be in the fight for the long haul as we as we move towards wins that are immediate and will make a difference in people's lives and also in changing systems and structures that have made it so. And I want to ask each of you, what keeps you in the fight and what keeps the love uh, alive for you in this work? Until things change. There's no other way to put it. Until things change, until, you know, we're not quoting 70 cents to the dollar, 72 cents to the dollar, the fight keeps going. And that's the motivation, right? Um, And until I don't have to say that, until I drive myself out of a job, (laughs) the fight continues. Absolutely. We are in this for the long haul. And there is no alternative but to be in the fight. Right. If if you don't keep up the fight, you capitulate. And I'm not willing to say that this is okay. This is not decent. And we all deserve decent work and decent lives. And I'll be there fighting for it till we all get it. And no one left behind. There is more than enough wealth for everyone. But what we've seen is that all of these low wage strategies that have been just uh, accepted as inevitable, um, this is the new norm, have uh, driven profit to the top and and led real wages to stagnate and drop. And that's not okay. Yeah. It's individualization, right? And even of the gender wage gap, there's a lot of conversations that'll be like, well, you're working in an industry that's low paid, or you took time off to have kids, or, you know, you work part time, that's why you're not getting paid. And it's, that's oh, looking at it like, oh, drive me crazy. And drives I can, me I, nuts, the, right? My rant is about the empowerment movement or the lean-in movement, which absolutely individualizes these problems and tell women that if you just try a little harder, you would be fine. But the reality is that you're facing systems that are designed to lower women's wages, that profit off women having lower wages. And um, that's the effect that they are intended to have. And it's not something that you can fight on an individual basis. Um, it is something that does require structural change. And that, and that's your collective work, which is, which is fantastic. And thank you both for being uh, continuously in this fight. We're going to get to our final segment, um, which is uh, one that we really enjoy. Um, it's called Love or Fight. It's rapid fire, and it's pretty simple. I'll say a thing, and you tell me whether you love it or you'd fight it. All right? That makes sense? <laughs> yep. All right, great. So the first one is non-disclosure agreements. Fight. Fight. Can you tell me briefly why? Oh, because they are a way of... Um, Shielding privilege, they are a way of um, hiding critique of current power structures and um, and the discrimination that they sustain. Ditto. <laughs> it's, right. Yeah, it's a way of um, silencing, right? So this next one, I think uh, we know where you stand on it from our last little uh, last part of our conversation. The phrase "lean in." 
fight. <laughs> complicated. <laughs> All right, complicated. Complicated. Go for it, Pam. I'm, and I'm gonna say that because I, I agree with Faye. We need to have a multi-pronged approach to fighting the pay gap, right? Um, and some of that's grassroots, some of that's systemic, some of that's organizational, some of that's network. And I'm all for even creating that space. And I'm gonna, I went to a lean-in circle recently, and it was for women in nonprofits. And What's a lean-in circle? Um, so having, well, this one particularly was just having a conversation about leadership um, as women, and particularly in our sector. I understand why we would want to fight it. I read the book, and I have my critiques of it. Um, but I'm also for more more fronts to do the work, right? Um and Faye's giving me that look. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about the Harvard Business Review article that came out this week uh, that yeah. said that the problem isn't that women aren't asking for raises at the same rate yeah. as men. It's that employers won't give it to them. Yeah. And that is, you know, that shows that this is not an individual problem. And oh. The next one, mansplaining. Oh my gosh. Fight it. (laughs) Love the fact that it's been identified. Fight it everywhere you see it. And the final one that we have is work-life balance. Oh, fight it. Fight it. It's complicated. (laughs) Um, As a millennial worker, right? cost of living is high, uh, you know, and I think particularly when you're someone whose professional and personal life are so closely intertwined. So this isn't just my professional work, this is I'm personally invested in. You lose track of work-life balance because you want to dedicate all your time and energy, particularly when you have it, to to fighting all the things that we've talked about today, right? So, Well, okay, and I am not against the idea of having balance in your life. I absolutely believe workers deserve decent work and decent lives. Um, But I don't like the political framing of work-life balance because it tells individuals once again that you are responsible uh, for not being able to cope with the stress that you're under. That if you just meditated more, if you just cooked yourself better meals, um, that everything would be fine. But the reality is that the precarity that workers are facing is structural. It is a product of deliberate strategies to lower wages, to keep workers feeling precarious so that they're more compliant. And the solution isn't for you uh, to do more yoga. And I say that as someone who does a lot of yoga. <laughs> but it's it, the, the solution is that you actually have to fight the structures that create the precarity, not retreat from them. So, so I guess a phrase that I saw recently was work-life integration. Is that any better? No, I don't like. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think I saw it on like the cover like, of a book a, or something. I mean, I agree with what um, Faye is saying, and, like, and but I, I think there's so many different perspectives too, right? So uh, going back to you know someone like activists, going back to the um, people who are doing this work or fighting for workers, right? Um, you don't have a personal and professional line, right? It's so blurred. It's so complicated. So what does that even mean? Like what like that you and your work are seamlessly integrated <laughs> so that you are forever available. But um, you know, so much of the conversation about the gender pay gap or precarity in the workplace, I think is flawed because it only looks at the symptoms that people face, right? Low pay, precarity, um, discrimination in the workforce without looking at who drives it. There the actors in the system who drive those results are 
constantly invisible in these conversations. And I think that the conversations need to shift to say, employers, you are bad civic actors. Government, you are not playing your role to uh, to legislate in the public good to ensure that there is decent work and decent lives for everyone. And the more that we allow employers and government off the hook, the less we are likely to be able to make the change we need. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you um, on social or email? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, so at Pamela Upal. um, And you can always reach me via email, Pamela at theonn.ca. And I'm on Twitter at Faye Faraday. You can also find me at the Equal Pay Coalition and at Faraday Law. Thank you so much. Paying someone less for the same work because she identifies as a woman is just not fair. Every woman knows someone, or is someone, who has found out that they are paid less than a man for work of equal value. We know the anger, resentment, and frustration that builds up when there appears to be no recourse except quitting. We also know the loneliness of staying and calling out injustice, the excuses and rationalizations, and the likelihood of failure when you're the only one in the fight. If you're a woman for whom English is a second language or whose job is really insecure, the idea of taking up this fight on your own is inconceivable. Benevolence or wishful thinking can't create pay equity. We have to fight together for good laws that define fairness and enact and enforce standards. Like the Fight for 15 and Fairness campaign did to modernize Ontario's employment laws last year. Starting to talk about wages more openly where we work, up and down the ladder is a powerful first step. After all, it's up to all of us to fight for what's fair and to close the gender pay gap for good. Thanks for listening. Lovers and Fighters is produced by Vocal Fry Studios and hosted by me, Asma Malik, with additional support from Nora Cole. You can find our show notes at atkinsonfoundation.ca slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at AtkinsonCF and on Instagram at JustWorkIt underscore. Subscribe to our Just Work It platform on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. And your positive ratings and comments ensure that other people can find us too. We love hearing from you. Get in touch with us on social media or at JustWorkIt at AtkinsonFoundation.ca.